Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Holiday, a practical guide for making the holidays holy days. And we are now into week two of Advent. Our theme is peace. And remember, we are endeavoring to grow in our holiness through this season so that we end the year stronger than we started. And we're doing that by practicing the presence of God. We want to experience Emmanuel. God is with us. We want to teach our hearts what our brains already know. We want to make that connection and make our attachment, grow our attachment to our adopted Heavenly Father as much as possible. In addition, we are trying to elevate our awareness <laughs> or heighten our excitement and anticipation of the fact that Jesus is coming back. We want to be focusing and becoming more aware of his second coming. That's the, that is the whole um, point of the Advent season is for us to wait in eager expectation both to celebrate his birth, the way he came to be with us, and to celebrate also and anticipate his return. And we're going to do that by reading through uh, some of the parables that Jesus taught when he was nearing the cross. Last week we, we worked with one of the parables. Today we're going to do a new parable. And then at the end of this, we're going to add to our toolbox of spiritual practices. Remember, these are the practices that we have been trying to integrate into our lives so that we can experience God's presence more. Um, we've talked about doing the daily examine. We've talked about breath prayer, about um, interactive interactive gratitude and interactive lament. And today we're going to be adding the age-old practice of Lexio Divina. So, but before we get there, we're going to start with our parable for today, and that is going to be in Matthew 25. We're going to be reading from verse 14. So if you want to turn over there, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here, it is, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. 
So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and who and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And of course this reading ends with that same terminology, the weeping and gnashing of teeth that we heard last week. But we know that this is a terminology that would have sounded very different to the people who are listening to it. They would have remembered where that was coming from, from their reading of the Old Testament. You know, just because of their training and their learning, it's a little bit different than us. But I know what we want to focus on with this is really how do we be these first two guys? None of us wants to be the second guy. So I just want to kind of go back through it and talk about the things that stuck out to me. So when I'm reading about the five golds, you know, five bags guy and the two bags guy, I was immediately struck by the phrase that says, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. And so you get this image of somebody who is eager, eager to go to work to make the master's life better. The the one who is saying, who appreciates what they've been given, like they see the seriousness of it. They take it seriously. They got to give five bags of gold. I need to do something with this to make my master happy, proud, make his life better, put, you know, put to use what I have been given. So the first thing I notice about them really is their attitude of eagerness. And then I think about how we really, all of us, surely we are the five bag person. I mean, living in America alone, and I know I've shared this so much, but um, I've become very uh, intently aware of just how much stuff we have because we're moving. And uh, I'm sorry if I've already told you this, but we have actually two pods and a storage unit full of stuff. Now that first pod that we packed up, we packed it up way back in August. And so the other day we're talking because now it's what, December something. And Jay goes, what in the world is in that pod? And we're just dying laughing because we're like, if we haven't used it in all this time, how much could we possibly need that stuff in that first pod? It's embarrassing how much stuff we have. You know, nothing will convince you to become a minimalist like moving. So I definitely have the urge to purge. But what it reminds me of is just how much we have been given. And if we just take that pause, I want you to just take a five minute pause and really consider, because that's what this time is about. That's what Advent is about, is really considering what we have been given and what we have been doing with what we have been given. So you're gonna stop and think just for five minutes, if Jesus really is coming back tomorrow. So we're, you know, we can't live like this every single day. I know it's impossible for our brains to take it in and our spirits to really keep up. But if we just take those five minutes and go, what if he really was coming back tomorrow? In what state would he find what he has given us? 
what do our houses look like right now? You know, are they, are we able to keep them up? Are they just a complete disaster? Which I, I crack up saying because I know it's the Christmas season. And so, you know, things can be a little chaotic, but what are we doing with what we've been given? Are we taking care of our possessions? Are we taking care of the home that we've been given? I was very acutely aware of what we hadn't been taking care of in our home when we were trying to sell it because, you know, it has to expect, has to pass the inspection on everything and I realized just how many things we had kind of let go. What state is our home in right now? Is it ready? Is it ready to be used for a Bible study, a Bible talk? And I know we're in COVID, so no one can actually do that. But theoretically speaking, are we prepared to use what we've been given to practice hospitality? Are we creating a beautiful environment for our children to grow up in, to know about the beauty of God, to really learn how to be good stewards of what we have? What is the condition of our cars? What is the condition of all the things that have been, what about our, our checkbook, our, our, you know, our bank account? What condition is it in? Is it overdrawn? Are we overdrawn? Are we in a lot of debt? Are we taking good care of the money that we've been given? What about our physical body, the temple of the Lord? How is that? Are we overdrawn there? <laughs> Meaning, are we, are we uh, you know, overweight? Have we been taking in too much? You know, it is, it is a good thing during this time of year to really take into account what kind of steward have I been with what I've been given and make some decisions now to become a better steward, to become more like the five gold guy or the two gold guy. I have actually another example of this is that, you know, in the classical music world, or maybe not just the classical music world, in the violin world specifically, and some of the other stringed instruments too, but specifically in the violin world, you'll find that the greatest performers, rarely do they own their instruments. They do not own the violin that they're playing on. Usually they have a patron that owns an instrument and they get to play on it. Um, it is sort of entrusted to their care because they are great musicians and uh, performers and artists. And so they are allowed to use these beautiful instruments from you know the 16 and 1700s when they were making these outlandishly beautiful instruments you know that um, no one has ever been able to recreate. So they are kind of commissioned to be able to use those works, but they don't own it. They just need to make it sound beautiful. And I, though I am not a big, you know, art, artistic performer out there, you know, like Joshua Bell or something, but I too have been gifted an instrument. I have been commissioned with an instrument because some good friends of mine, the Etterbeeks, um, Dave Etterbeek studied the Bible with my husband and, uh, you know, his wife, Brenda, is actually, she came, she went to USC with, with, we all went to USC together, but she's actually in my little spiritual tree. So I'm like her spiritual grandma or something, which is funny because we're kind of almost the same age, but they have gifted me the instrument that, um, Dave's mom had played on for, for years, she was a violinist, and when she passed on, they actually allowed me to play on her instrument. It's a beautiful instrument. It's a beautiful bow. I am so grateful. I do not own it. It does not belong to me, but I'm going to make it sound as good as I can. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to you know, get the insurance. I never leave it where it's not supposed to be. I, I take very good care of this instrument because I'm a steward of it. We are all a steward of what has been given to us. So how, what kind of music are we making with what has been given to us? It's okay, don't get down on yourself. Just think, how can I make some changes in this time 
to become a better steward of my body, of my possessions, of my money, of my time, all of these resources that we've been given. That's how we can imitate these two guys and avoid the pitfalls of the third guy. Okay, so now we have to talk about the third guy. I'm sorry, we have to go to the bad news guy. So the first thing I notice about him is that, you know, when he comes to meet the master and the other two guys, they were like, look, you know, um, you gave me this and I went out and I got this, you know, you gave me two and I went out and now I have four, I got two more. The first thing this guy says is, it says when the man who had received the bat, the one bag of gold came, master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. So he starts off by, I knew that you, and he starts pointing the finger <laughs> at the other guy, at the master. Now we can always know we're going down a wrong road when we are having to mm, give an account for the choices that we've made. And our sentence starts with, well, I knew that you, you know, neither of the other two guys did that. They focused on what they had been given. Look, you gave me this and I went and did this. And he doesn't say anything about what he's been given. He starts off with these accusations against the giver. So he starts off with, well, I knew that you were this and that. So, you know, either he is projecting, there's a lot of things that could be going on here. Is he projecting who he is onto this master? It could be that. Now we kind of read this knowing all these years later that this is, the master is God, right? We know that the master is God. So these accusations aren't even true. We're gonna come back to that at the end. But, you know, when we, don't want to take responsibility for our choices and our actions, we often can project who we are, all of our faults and our failures onto the person that is calling us to account or challenging us on something. So perhaps this guy was a hard man. Perhaps he took where, you know, he, he perhaps he did these things of, you know, um, what does it say? Harvesting where we had not sown or gathering where we had not planted. Maybe he was that kind of guy and he was putting that off on him. We don't hear that the, the other two guys mentioning anything about that characteristic in the master, right? So, so maybe he's projecting or maybe he's just deflecting and he's trying to get that, all that, you know, notice off of himself, you know, and he's just trying to do all those things that are in our human nature, Whenever we are struggling or suffering or feeling like, you know, we're feeling like we didn't do something right, we have many things that we can do. You know, we can blame the other person because really he was making it his fault. This guy chose to go dig a hole and put the gold in the ground. And, but it somehow is making it the master's fault. Like it's because of who you are. You're the reason that I couldn't do it. So we like to blame the other person. We get into blame shifting. We get into projecting. We get into deflecting onto somebody. Well, it's because of you. You know, we all do this. We, we, you know, if I had just had, well, if you wouldn't be so hard on me, or if you had talked to me in a better way, well, if you had said it in a different way, well, if you had always been there in this way, if you were this and you were that, then I wouldn't have had to make these decisions. Or perhaps he's doing that thing of comparing. You know, because in our American minds, we can look at this, or maybe it's just our human human minds. I don't know if this is the way it is everywhere. I've only lived here. 
But we've got the guy that got the 10, the guy that got the five, and the guy that got the, oh, no, guy that got the five, sorry, guy that got the two, and guy that got the one. And we can look at that, that's not fair. That's not fair. He was given more, and, you know, he said, but the truth is that, well, two truths with that. One is that we are calling ourselves the, the judge of what, what is fair. And we are considering that from our viewpoint, we can tell what is fair, which we all know is not correct, since we have this vantage point down here, and God has this vantage point. But we could also say that he's, you know, comparing, we can say that that's not fair because they'd all didn't get the same amount. But the truth is that they were all getting the same amount. They were all getting what they were capable of. And anybody that has kids know that we give our kids what they're capable of. My, my 21-year-old, um, I do not give him the same things that I give to my 17-year-old, which I don't give the same to my 14-year-old because they're all at different stages. I give my 14-year-old what she can handle. I give my 17-year-old tasks that he can handle and my 21-year-old tasks that they can handle. They all have a different level of ability, so they're given a different amount of things, but it's fair because they're all given as much as they can handle. So, but maybe he started to compare and he was like, well, I only got one, you know, and if I had gotten to, if I had just gotten one, you know, we all do this, right? Well, if, if only I'd had a better education or if only I had been raised with more money, if only I had come from a better background, if only I had a better parents or if only I had a better husband or if only I had a better boss or a better small group or a better church or better kids. We always want to compare. We can fall into this trap of comparing. Well, if I had that, of course, I'd be able to make it happen. Well, if I had that, I, of course, I would have made better decisions. But, you know, the truth is that neither of the other two were focused on the discrepancy in how much they had been given. We know that they came saying, you gave me this. They acknowledged that they had been given something. This guy never even acknowledges that he was given anything. He was given a bag of gold after all. I mean, I'll take it. And he could have, let's, let's think if he had done it their way, it, he could have set out at once, just like they did, and made for himself yet another bag of gold. And then he could have returned it to the guy with two bags of gold. He could have returned to his master. So he had the ability to double what he, what he made or what he was given, but he never even acknowledged or noticed what he was given. You know, sometimes we spend so much time noticing what we haven't been given that we miss entirely what we have been given. So doesn't it turn out at the end, says the little that they do have, even those who have been given little, the little that they do have is going to be taken away. But really, it's the little that they do have that was squandered away. He took it and he buried it in the ground. And, you know, the master does kind of call him on this, you know, because the, the guy tries to say, well, I know it's because you were this and you were that. And he says, so you knew, <laughs> I love the seed, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money in the bank. At least I would have gotten interest. You know, he sort of calls him out on like, I don't think that was the real issue because if you really thought that, then you would have put my money in the bank. I think the real issue is that you really, you didn't even want to go to the bank. It was too hard. There was too much. It was too, you know, there's a line in the road. Remember all those Proverbs? There is a lot of Proverbs about being lazy. And sometimes we can look at this, oh, isn't that harsh to call him wicked and lazy? But I think he was lazy. I think he did just, you know, buried in the ground and didn't even take the trouble to even go to the bank. So there is a time for us just to admit, you know, I was just lazy. It was just too much trouble. 
I just didn't want to do it. We all can fall into these pitfalls. That's my point. We can all fall into these pitfalls that this guy has. But I think the number one thing that sticks with me about this guy is just his misperception of the master. And if I have to think of one thing that I think ails us, people that are watching this video, I think, can we deflect? Can we be blame shifters? Can we be projectors? Can we be lazy? Absolutely, we can be all of those things. But I think the majority of us who are trying to be holy, the thing that keeps us from doing something is almost always a misperception of the maker. Satan gets in there, and just like he has been doing since the beginning, he slings mud on the creator. He, see, he slings mud on the master and tries to make the master out to look like he is a miser, as we talked about like last week, that he's holding out on us, that he's, you know, he's actually um, not, he, he doesn't have our best interest at heart. And so he gets in there and he starts telling us all these things. He keeps speaking into our minds and warning, you know, he, he, he's mean. He's a mean master. This guy was listening to that voice. And we can be so guilty of listening to that voice. You know, over the past week, I've talked to a couple people who are diligently trying to do their interactive lament. But what they're finding when they're writing is that kind of that their own voice or that super ego, you know, they call it the super ego. I call it Satan. Um, that is just always condemning, always accusing. You know, that Satan's job, he came to steal and kill and destroy. And he does that through accusing us all day long. That's what it says in Revelation. You know, another, it, he doesn't even rest. He's always accusing us of something. He's always pointing out our faults. He's always piling it on. Well, you need to, well, remember that, well, you should have, and you could have, and always reminding us of all those things. And I just want you to know that if that's what's coming out when you're doing your interactive lament, I do not believe that that's the voice of God. What I read in the Bible is that even when God instructs us, it's with kindness. Even when he corrects us, it's with gentleness. The Bible says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I cannot tell you the number of times I've had to hold on to that scripture and remember that God is gentle and kind. And as long as we are striving and trying to be faithful, as long as we are trying to be holy, he never grows tired of us. You know, he does not always accuse. He doesn't always treat us as our sins deserve. Isn't that what Psalm 103 is all about? It's about his compassions that never fail. That is the voice of God. Of course, sometimes he, he has to correct us. And of course, sometimes he might even have to, you know, rebuke us. But it's always with kindness and love. We have to continually remind ourselves that this is who God is. God is who the Bible says he is, and we are who he says we are. We are not who the accuser accuses us of being, which leads us into our practice this week. It fits perfectly in with Lexia Divina. 
Now, Lexia Divina is really just a fancy way of saying divine reading. And let me just give you the difference here. It just means that I'm going to read the Bible with a different mindset. There's a lot of different ways to read the Bible. There's a time to read the Bible for um, instruction. There's a time to read the Bible for, even for history's sake, just to see how it happened. And, uh, you know, you could read it to see these prophecies have been given. These prophecies are, you know, are fulfilled and all of that kind of stuff. And for actual Bible study, there is a time for that. But there's also a time just to read it and let the Spirit guide you as it says he will, that the Spirit was given, the Advocate was given to teach us and guide us in all things. So he will teach us through the scriptures. He will guide our thoughts. And there's a time where you will read the Bible and you're reading something that you've read before. Uh, who knows how many times, a hundred times? I mean, how many times have you even read this parable? Maybe. maybe. There's certain scriptures that we have read repeatedly in the Bible, but then all of a sudden we'll read it and the Spirit will lead us to just a word that we've never heard before or a phrase that we've never thought about it that way before. And just points it out and we'll start to mull it over in our brain. That is the Spirit working in you to breathe new life into you, to show you new things in the Word. The same Word that you have been reading over and over and over that could have become dull, right? That sometimes you could just be bouncing off of you and then all of a sudden something new pops out because it is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, right? So this is that kind of reading where we slow down the reading so that we can notice something. So in this practice, we'll read it three times. And each time, we will read it a little bit more slowly, and we will count on the Spirit to guide us to something, to listen for that something that He's pointing out at us. We might read, just read a small phrase. We might read a few scriptures, not too long, but just listening for the Spirit of God. So as we get ready for this, I don't know if you're driving. I don't know if you're getting ready. I don't know if you're washing dishes, but you can do this wherever you are. The only part that you can't do is you probably just cannot close your eyes. <laughs> but if you are in the place where you can close your eyes just for a minute, just close your Bibles and just sit here, I want you to follow this process with me. First, we're gonna start by closing our eyes and taking a few deep breaths, breathing in for about six beats, but breathing out for even longer. You're trying to get that, that vagal response that turns us from anxiety to calm. So sit up in your chair comfortably and take a few deep breaths. Here we go. Before you breathe in again. And one more. And now we're going to take a moment just to get even a little bit more relaxed to release tension. You're going to Notice your, your head and your face and even relax the skin on your face. And let your jaw drop. Then let your shoulders drop down away from your ears. 
Notice if there's any tension between your shoulders and let it go. Follow it, following it down to your arms and just noticing if there's any tension below the elbows to your wrists and then finally to your hands. Perhaps open your hands and let them fall onto your thighs if you're sitting down or just into a comfortable position. Get rid of all the tension there. Then notice as you're sitting, is there any tension in your legs? Can you readjust them? Can you release anything in your lower legs down to your ankles and finally your feet? And let's say a prayer, God, thank you for your spirit. We praise you and we thank you that you give us the spirit to guide us. Pray that you would guide us into knowing who you are, who you really are. Help us to escape all the accusations that Satan is screaming at us all the time. Please remind us of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. This next time we read it, I'm going to read it just a little bit slower. And I want you to notice if the Spirit points out a certain word or a phrase. Try to find a phrase or a word that sort of sticks out to you. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. As we read it one last time, I want you to listen and see if there's an invitation, an invitation to your soul. Listen not for commands or corrections, but listen for an invitation. What is God? 
The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Well, I thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm so grateful that I am on this journey with you. It is a blast to go through Advent with you. I am having such a good time reading all the responses on the Facebook page. Please, please share what's going on in your life so that we can all benefit from it. And I want to remind you, as I always do, that God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's a process. Let God do his work. And I will see you next week.